This message is presented by Pastor Chuck Wilson. Okay, my name is Chuck Wilson. I'm at New Hope Community Church, Pastor. And we are doing a video series on biblical prophecy, making sense of this crazy world. We already did Mark 13, Matthew 24. Now we're in the book of Daniel. Now we're going to go in the book of Revelation. And so uh, the theme in Daniel, we talked about this the first time. God is in control of the world, the nation, our lives, and God protects his faithful people. He's preparing us. This book is preparing us for whatever is coming. The world's hate and God's faithful love is is what what we see here. And it's also prophetic of what is coming. Daniel is going to move into Revelation hand in glove. And they're all going to fit together really, really well. The title for today is The Big Squeeze. The Big Squeeze, Daniel 1, 3 to 8. And speaking of The Big Squeeze, I remember a story from years ago. I actually saved it. Never forgot it. Dug it out for this uh, for this talk today. Crazy, crazy. What happened? Uh, a three-year-old boy was playing along the banks of a river in the Amazon jungle, and his father said he was killed by a huge anaconda, giant anaconda. He's the size he says is probably impossible, but even if it's half as long as he said, it had to be huge. The boy, the boy's father, deep in the jungle, was in his uh, hut. And he was getting something in the hut. He came out here, heard the boy scream, came running out. And the, the huge anaconda had already had a hold of this boy and was already wrapping it around it. So he ran in, got an old gun that he had, an old musket, comes running back out. But he said by the time he got back out, the snake had already crushed the boy and was already swallowing the boy. There was nothing he could do. The gun wouldn't have even put a dent in him. It took him two weeks to travel to back to civilization. And he just was heartbroken. He said... He said, I felt like there was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do. And have you ever felt like this, Dad? A child slipping away or you're losing someone as their faith slips away. I know with our oldest son, Ryan, when we lost him, very, very hard to, when he died. But the seven years that led up to it were, were just brutal, even more brutal than losing him because we saw him being caught and crushed by the world. Each pill he swallowed was was really a picture of the world and Satan swallowing him an inch at a time. It's just brutal to see that. You may sense someone is slipping away or you yourself may be slowly conforming to the world in some way. I hope that this this passage here in Daniel, these verses here in Daniel convict us, jolt us, give us some hope on how to help someone fight their way out or how we can fight our way out. And and we need to look at what is happening in the world. We better get ready for the spiritual battle. Uh, if we don't, if we don't, uh, we aren't ready to fight. We're not going to survive what's happening out there, right? And this is what Daniel is all about: how to survive the big squeeze, the big squeeze, the world squeezing us. Last week we saw about God's judgment and uh, on Israel and how He uh, brought through, a, refined a holy remnant to be, bring back to Israel. We saw the captivity in evil Babylon and we saw how the USA and the church had there's many parallels there and how God's also using what we're facing to refine us and to set us apart. Will we make sure that happens? Will we surrender and submit to what God is trying to do? Father, we thank you for your word and pray that you would touch our hearts through this through the book of Daniel. This is written thousands of years ago, but it's for today. It's for us today. I pray that you would convict us and work in our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's start off with, I'll read the first couple of verses which we did last week. 
in the third, Daniel 1 verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Okay, we did that last time. Now we're going to do verses 3 to 8. I'm going to read that for you. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after they were that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from the from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel. Uh, um, new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Ooh, okay, here we go. Uh, verse, first couple of verses there, three and four, you see that they, that Nebuchadnezzar takes the brightest and the best as hostages from the hostages here. Um, it's a brain drain. That's one thing he's trying to do. He's trying to take the cream of the crop away from Israel, which would cripple them, and he puts them to work, similar to what happens when the USA, when Students from other countries come to become doctors, uh, to be trained to be doctors, and then they never go back again. It's called the brain drain. We get the, the best and the brightest from these other countries. Uh, that's, that's a problem for these countries, obviously. And it starts, it starts the process, too, not just draining off the cream of the crop from Israel, which is what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, but it starts the process of making them just like the Babylonians. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to conform them. He's trying to absorb them. He wants them to look and think and talk and eat and act like Babylonians. That's what he's trying to do. And that's not good because they were wicked idolaters. They were worshipers of, of idols versus be, God's holy people. So this was a serious threat to them that, to, that, that, that would they stay God's holy people. And, and we see this extra pressure in their lives. In our lives, there's extra pressure in the area of our gifting. In the area of our gifting, there's extra pressure. It's the gifted, uh, it's the gifted and talented person who has a, a temptation to become proud. It's the person who, who, who is, is good looking who is tempted to sexual sin. It's the smart person that's tempted toward uh, scoffing at religion and, and looking down on religion. That's the temptation. And these, these young men were probably older teenagers at the time, teenagers, and that's when peer pressure is at its strongest, at its strongest, the powerful, and not just teens, it's lifelong as we know, lifelong. There's this enormous pressure by the world to, to conf get us to conform, and if we will not conform, then it hates us. It hates us. John, if, if we don't conform to the world, if we are transformed by Jesus Christ, we are hated. In fact, John 15, 18, Jesus warns us. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is the why the world hates you. 
Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And so we see that we are going to be hated. We should be hated. If we're not hated by the world, there's a problem there. There's a problem. That means that we're like the world instead of like Jesus Christ. And also, 1 Peter 4, 3-5 to says this. Let's see here. 1 Peter 4, 3-5. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, crowding and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So if we, he's saying, you've spent enough time in that sin, you've changed, you've turned your life around, and, but, but the world, they're going to heap abuse on us because we're not going along with it, not going along with the crowd. And so this is what these uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're facing this, the pressures faced by Daniel and how he responded. And these are the pressures. The first pressure is the captivity itself is a pressure. They were hicks from Judah and Benjamin, right? These hicks from Judah and Benjamin, they come to Babylon, which was at that time 12 times larger than modern day London. Yeah, you heard me right. It was 12 times larger than modern day London. They had it all. It was huge. Every If you were in, you were there. And it would be like a little kid visiting Disney World for the first time, overwhelmed and overawed. Wow, you know? And and now we get the same pressure. This is the same pressure. We get the same pressure now, 24-7, that they got. We get it 24-7 on the phones and and with the computers and the TVs and, and the constant media pressure to be conformed to the world. And it's attempt what they were attempting to do with this captivity and what the world attempts to do with us constantly is to remove and replace the godly influence in our life. The second thing they did besides the captivity was the name change. Was the name change. I remember when, uh, when each of the kids is born, we, we, we would, when each of them were born, we would give them uh, the name. And I remember when we picked Matthew for our second one, Matthew. But as soon as we, we started calling you know him Matthew, other people would call him Matt. And Kim hated that. She wanted to call him Matthew. She didn't like the word Matt. Sorry, any Matt's out there. She just didn't like... She didn't care if you're called Matt, but she didn't want Matthew to be called Matt. And so she would she, she would get, you know, I always say, no, it's Matthew. It's Matthew. You know, one of those. But but anyway, lots of people still call him Matt. But but it was really no big deal what what he was called what but the the name changes that these guys were given with Daniel and and the others the name change they were given was was very important because it was trying to change their identity trying to change their identity Daniel the word Daniel means God is my judge but they changed his name to Belteshazzar uh, which means may bell protect not Jehovah now it's bell the chief deity of Babylon was Baal. And so they, he changed, was trying to change his identity. <clears throat> Hananiah means God is gracious, but they changed his name to Shadrach, which means illumined by the moon god. 
the, interestingly, Islam is based on a moon god. That's how it started out. It was a moon god that, that rose to the top of the pile through, through Muhammad. But uh, that, that's, that's where they get the moon god came from. Okay, uh, Mishael, who is like God? No one. That's the rhetorical question. Who's like God? No one. But they changed Mishael's name to Meshach, who is like Shaq. One of, not Shaquille O'Neal, but one of the gods of Babylon, okay? Azariah means God helps. God helps. But they changed his name to Abednego, which means slave of Nego. Nego is the, one of the gods. And the point is, your God can't help you. God helped you. He didn't help you. You're a slave of, of, of Nego, who uh, was one of the gods. He was a fire god. He was a fire god. He was the son of Baal the chief god, and he was the fire god. He said, nobody could help you. And the attempt was to take away their Jewish godly identity. That was the attempt. If you've ever read Ephesians 1 through 3, chapters 1 to 3, we see that the world and Satan try to do that to us as Christians today. Same thing tries to take away our godly identity, who we are in Jesus Christ. Very important that we know who we are in Christ. And what do these names tell us? The, the original names of the all four young men, what, does, what do those names tell us? That they had godly parents. They had godly parents. That they named them for, for a very specific reason. And remember, this was a time of a great apostasy. It was the worst of times in Israel and in, in Judah there. But, but they, they had godly parents. There was still a remnant in the worst of times. In the worst of times, there was still a remnant. And probably because of Josiah's revival that happened not too uh, much before this. And and if very important challenge to us as parents as we live in this, as the country goes far and far further away from God and away from Jesus Christ, we have to help our kids have a godly identity, ground them in Jesus Christ, and hopefully when they hit a crisis like these guys hit, they will turn to Christ. Hope and pray that that will happen. So, they have the captivity, you have the name change, and another way they tried to squeeze them was by learning. By learning. Look what it said there. Three years of intensive study. Think SAT on steroids, right? It was, it was hard, hard. They had to learn the language. <clears throat> they had to learn the language. The best way to assimilate someone is to teach them the language, make them learn the language. That's how you protect your culture and take away their culture, right? That's the number the one number one thing. When when someone first comes to our country as an immigrant and they kind of hang on to that old lang language and old culture, but their kids, we see it over and over. All these movies made, you know, about the the, the kids learn English. And they don't know the, the mother tongue. And they don't know that culture. And they assimilate into the United States. And there's always this constant generational battle. You, you see a lot of TV movies and stuff on that. And that's, the, that's what happens. And that's what they're, but this is what they're intentionally trying to do here. They also taught them the literature of Babylon. There was some science there, but a lot of it was philosophy. And, and it was also based on the occult occult magic and astrology. Some of the versions call them the magicians and astrologers, uh, different versions of the Bible. And that was a very, very big part of it. They were indoctrinating them into the Babylonian philosophy and, and, and magical arts. And that's what, that's what they try to do even today is, is the world is constantly trying to push us into a mold and, and change us. And it's not that as hard as you think. Uh, there was a study. Uh, let me see here. They did a study uh, and they 
I'll use 10 people. They did a study and they said, what is five plus three? And they, and 10 people in a row all said seven. Five plus three is seven. 10 people in a row, uh, nine people in a row. And, and the last person, the 10th person, they said, what is five plus three? Guess what they said? 50% said seven. Even though they know it's eight. Half the 10th person, 50% of the time, said seven. That's what they found. Sociological study. Okay, peer pressure. And, and you get, you get the point. But that's, that's what happens. We all know that five plus three is eight. And yet, the pressure, the peer pressure can be that powerful that half the people would, would cave in on that. It's crazy, isn't it? But that's, that's what happens. It, it, it happens, the world does it all the time. They do it evolution. Come on. We come from monkeys. Seriously? No fossil, no fossil evidence. It's, it, no, no proof anywhere in nature. It's crazy. I'm talking about eight to men. I'm not talking about within a species, uh, the, 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 some, you know, changes, but I'm talking about species jumping. I'm talking about eight to man. It's, it's, it's insane, but you can't even question it in many circles or you're called crazy. You're called this crazy fundamental Christian or something. It, they're desperate. They won't allow any discussion on it. It's really, really crazy. Uh, but they're attempting to mold our minds. That's what the world, that's what they're doing in Babylon. That's what they try to do in, in our culture. They mold our mind. That's why it's so vital. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to keep coming back to that. You've already heard it many times here in this series, all right? So, after the, the learning comes food. We're going to talk about that next time, uh, the food and how they stood firm. Next time, not eating the world's garbage. We are what you eat. Spiritual equali. We're going to talk about all that. But Daniel and his three friends stand firm. We don't know who else stood firm, but we know these three guys, these four guys stood firm. Why? Verse eight. And this is the key. This is the key that it all hinges on. Even the next sermon. This is the key. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with a royal food and wine. Daniel resolved. We either resolve or dissolve. We have a choice, resolve or dissolve. If we don't make up our mind, if we don't set our heart, if, if we don't make that decision, the world will do it for us. And if we don't make it before we get into a tough situation, we're going to cave in. It's very important that we resolve, we make up our mind with these, with all the, the the, the pressures out there that, that we face, whether it's, whether you're a teenager, it's the sexual pressure or the partying pressure, the big, or bigger pressures, or if, if we come across as wishy-washy, the pressure will increase, but if we take a strong stand, that's what I found in college, if I took a strong stand, people left me alone. There was no pressure. They stopped asking. But we must resolve before we get into that bad spot. We must resolve before we, we can't wait until we're in the midst of this intense pressure or a place we shouldn't be. And I'll talk to those in college. There's lots of crazy stuff going on. If you don't take a strong stand, then, then you're going to face incredible pressure. But if you take a strong stand, people will not only back off, but they're going to respect you. And the key is, for Daniel, the key with his resolve is he had three really good friends that took that stand with him. That took that stand with him. I've seen our kids, the ones that, that do the best, have some really strong Christian friends in high school. I know when I was in college, it was pretty easy for me. I had some really strong Christian friends. And, and uh, I had, I had uh, some really good friends. I had a Tom. 
and a Todd and a Bill. And later on, we picked up another Tom and Bill. We, uh, the six of us were roommates in, in an apartment. And it, it was great having these guys, myself and these three friends and later a couple more, because we all had the same Christian values. We weren't perfect. <laughs> we, we made our mistakes. Uh, but but we, 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 really were, we were really resolved to follow Jesus Christ. And it was great having these guys as an encouragement and, and to, to stand with and to know that you ha- they, we had each other's backs and we didn't have to get into bad situations as much as we could have. <laughs> we didn't have to get into, into as many bad situations because we were encouraging each other on that. And that's what, that's what they had. It's very important if you're out there trying to take a stand that you have some Christian friends that you can stand with. What motivated Daniel and the three to be different? What? Why were they so different? Why? Now, and and to read the whole book of Daniel, what kind of jumped out is verse three. The the uh, they were made. They're going to become chief officials, and we know from history, and we see lots of hints in the book of Daniel that very likely, to, in order to be in the, in the palace and to be chief officials and to be right hand men of of Nebuchadnezzar, which is what they ended up to be, they also had to be. Eunuchs. You heard me right. Eunuchs. They were eunuchs. And some people say, oh, no, no, that can't be. But Josephus, the, the, the historian, the Jewish historian says, yes, he said they were eunuchs. Everybody who was, worked in the palace had to be because otherwise the king's harem was, would be in jeopardy, all these handsome men there. And, uh, it's, it's, I think that's, I think Josephus is right on this. In fact, Isaiah and Jeremiah both prophesied that, that once they were taken captive, that their sons would be made eunuchs. Jo- Isaiah and Jeremiah both prophesied that. And that probably explains their extreme devotion. Why? Because they were dead to the world. They were literally dead to the world. They were physical and spiritual eunuchs. It seems extreme that God will allow these, these men to go through, these young men to go through that, but God often has to cut things out of our lives. Cut things out of our lives. We, things that we, we think are important, but they really make us vulnerable, vulnerable to the world's influence. What in your life? What in your life is, is that type of thing that God has to cut out or has cut out or may have to cut out in order, maybe we're going to have to lose that boy or girl in our life. Maybe we're going to have to lose a job. Maybe we're going to have to uh, uh, have a sports injury that takes a sport away from us. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a car. Whatever. Think about our life and what is an idol and what can bring us down and how God may have to take that away. Are we eunuchs? Not physically, but are we spiritual eunuchs? Are we dead to the world? Are we dead to the world? What is God cutting out or what does he need to cut out so they can use us in a powerful way? What does he need to cut out? How are we being squeezed? How are we being squeezed? Are we going to resolve or dissolve? Are we going to resolve or dissolve? In, in school or college, will we take a stand? Like Daniel, maybe you're far from home at college. What will you do? Are you going to go wild or are you going to grow in your faith? There's no, there's no coasting. We either grow in our faith or we, we go wild. We, we buy the lies that 
college, we buy the lies of relativism and, and all the other isms that try to pulse away from Jesus Christ. Um, as parents, are we preparing our kids to be Daniels and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's? Are we preparing them? What would our, what would our kids do in this situation? Are we giving them an eternal perspective? The key, and are we ready to survive? Are we ready to fight this battle? The key to survival. This, I told the story about the, the little boy who was killed by the snake, but we don't have to be killed. We can survive. We can fight. There was a, I, uh, I remember a, a story in, a, let me look it up real quick, a story in a book called His Voice Shakes the Wilderness. There was a missionary in Columbia, Sophie Mueller. I never forgot this story. I, I saved this one too. There was a little boy who was out hunting, a, a young teenage boy out hunting in Columbia there. She was a missionary there. And, and he was out hunting, and he was out hunting uh, some kind of a bird in the bush. And he was in his uh, canoe, and he got up on a log, and he starts walking up on this log over the water, over his canoe. And he was getting ready to shoot something with his arrow. And all of a sudden, he felt something grab him by the ankle. And he was like, ah. he looks down, and it's a huge boa had got a hold of his ankle huge and the hunter had become the hunted it starts to wrap itself around him he drops the bow and arrow he's struggling he's struggling it's wrapping up it begins to squeeze him his only chance is the machete that he left in the boat in his little canoe right underneath there and he's being wrapped up on this log and he's reaching for it trying to get it and it just as he felt like he was going to lose consciousness he finally was able to get his hand on the machete and he brings it up he starts to ha hammer away at the snake's head hammer away at the snake's head he didn't kill the snake but he chopped it enough that it let go of him and it, and it slithered, slithered away off to for something else he barely survived oh wait oh no 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 let me wait i wait. No, 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 that's not true. He actually did kill it. He did kill it. I'm remembering the story. He actually did kill the snake. He was started chopping at the head on the ankle. And, and now I'm remembering, I'm mixing up two different stories. And he starts chopping on, on the, at the head. And he finally severed the head enough that it killed the snake. And the huge body, here it is, the whole story. I have the whole story written out here. His, the body of the snake fell into the canoe. It was so heavy, it was like weighted down the canoe, almost tipped the canoe over, this huge body of this huge boa, and in the, the head was still stuck to his ankle, and he pried it off. He only survived because he had that machete in his hand, that he was fighting with this with the, the machete. He had it, and he knew how to use it. And it's so vital that we know how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the one weapon. When you look at the armor, it's the one piece of weapon that is not just defensive, but it's also offensive. Everything else is defensive. The one, the helmet, the, the breastplate, the shoes of the gospel, everything else is defensive. It's the one piece that can be used offensively, but it's that, that sharp little dagger that can be used when the Roman soldier was fighting in close. It was the last chance to, to to survive and that's exactly what we're told to use the word of god the sword of the spirit which is the word of god we know i have to know we have to know this we we have to have it memorized we have to meditate on it and claim the promises we have to know how to fight off every attack using the word of god and the power of the word of god we have to know how to use it and teach our kids how to use it that we're defenseless without it a lot of times i i play games with our kids uh, especially some of the the first couple I did is more. We'd have the sword games and be fighting, and then I'd be the devil, and they'd be, you know, Christians fighting me, and if they could quote a verse, I'd let them kill me, but if they couldn't, I would, I would really give them a good whacking, a good fighting, and they were motivated then to learn their verses so they could fight me off, right? But that, it was a game, but it was true, too. We have to learn, teach our kids how to fight 
using the Word of God. And that was Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they knew the Word and they took the Word and they fought with the Word. Very, very important. Are, do we know how to use the Word? Are we ready to fight this battle? What resolution is God calling us to make and to keep? Will we make up our mind now? We'll, 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 that we won't do certain things, we won't eat certain things, we won't think certain things. Will we take action steps? You might be in a battle and being wrapped up by a snake, being crushed in some area of your life, and you might need help to fight that snake off. You might need to talk to a, your parents or a Christian counselor or a, a pastor or an accountability partner, another brother or sister in Christ, or a purity group. Whatever it takes, will we remove whatever is poisoning our mind? poisoning our heart. We'll remove whatever it is, whatever it takes, whatever we have to get rid of, whatever we have to cut out of our life to, in order to be transformers. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to have a biblical worldview. Every attitude, every belief, Everything we think has to go through God's word or we get squeezed by the world. And, and it breaks my heart to see so many Christians squeezed by the world. Only 6% have a biblical worldview. I talk to Christians who say they're Christians and I'm shocked at their beliefs. Shocked that they, they think just like the world. It's no big deal to... You know, no big deal to... to I'm not even going to get into it. It's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. It's shocking. Get, pick up the word, learn to use it, make everything go past the word of God. We take captive every thought, and make it obedient to Christ Jesus. And maybe you're, maybe you are listening to this and you can't fight yet because you're not even a Christian. You have no defense. You are already wrapped up by a snake and being swallowed as, as we speak spiritually. The only chance you have, we have, is to put our faith in Jesus Christ and he will help us. He will kill Kill that snake. Kill Satan's attacks. And then he will teach us how to fight off the world's attacks. He'll teach us how to do that. But the first step is we have to break free of slavery. Slavery to the world. Break free of, of just as they were in the Babylonian captivity. We need to break free of the world. Break free of the flesh. Break free of Satan's attacks. And, and so we can avoid being crushed. We have to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what John 3.16 is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Has there ever been a time in your life where you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Jesus called it being born again. We are all born physically, but we need to be born spiritually. There's a time in our life where we put our faith. It's an actual time that we know we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You might not remember the date or the time, but you know for sure you have been born again. Jesus said you must. John 3, he says you must be born again. We must be born spiritually Again, just like we were born physically, there has to be a spiritual birth. And the way we're born again, John 3.16 tells us, for whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? You can do that right now. Father, we just pray. I pray that if anybody here is, is who's listening to this or watching this right now, if they have never put their faith in Jesus, they are being squeezed by sin, by Satan, by the world. They are lost spiritually. I pray that right now, at this very moment they're listening, that they would be born again. That they would put their faith 
in Jesus Christ. Right, right now they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a simple prayer of faith, but it comes right from the heart. It's simple, but it's powerful. God, I believe Jesus died for me. On that cross for me. He rose again from the dead for me. I believe that. He did it so that I could be forgiven. So that I could have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. I believe that. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. My life to Jesus. And for those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How are we being squeezed? Where have we let down our guard? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us about resolving instead of dissolving? What do we need to do? What do we need to, what, how do we need to take up the word? What, what verse or what verses do we need to memorize and to begin to fight with? Who do we need to talk to to help us cut that snake's head and, and to get ourselves free? It's so strong now that we're going to need to find someone to help us break free, to break free. Father, I pray that every one of us would know our freedom in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be free in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.